Hosting for this podcast is made possible through mtgcast.com, which is supported by a generous contribution from quietspeculation.com, Magic's premier trading and financial news site. Welcome to Delving to Draft, this is episode 29, recording the 12th of June, 2013. My name's Craig, and I'm one of your hosts. Joining me this week is... Dan! Woo! There's actually two of us for once! Yay! Right, let's move straight on to the news. So, Magic Online is celebrating its 11th anniversary... When is it celebrating its anniversary? Next week. So that's June the 19th to June the 23rd. That's Wednesday to Sunday. And they're running a special 11th anniversary Phantom Seal deck event. So this will cost six event tickets, and it is Phantom, so you don't keep any of the cards. However, because it is the 11th anniversary, you get 11 boosters in a sealed deck event. This sounds familiar. Yeah, it's a bit like the Christmas one, except for I think that was random. This one is fixed. And it's the first booster in every expansion, which has been out in the first, in the last 11 years. So there's Return to Ravnica, Innistrad, Scars of Muradin, Zendikar, Shards of Alara, Lorwyn, Time Spiral, Ravnica City of Guilds, Champions Kamigawa, Muradin, and lastly, Onslaught. So you got one of each of those boosters and you play draft. Draft? Sealed, even. Sealed, yeah. Yeah. Um, now these are, Big tournaments, it's, you know, up to 512 players. So there are scheduled start times for this. This is not a sort of pick-up sealed event at any time. And the prizes are still quite substantial. I mean, if you go um, 4-0, you get three Return to Ravnica booster packs, four Gatecrash booster packs, four Dragon Maze booster packs, a foil Farseek promo and a normal Farseek promo. Um, if you get... Three and one, then all those boosters drop down to two, but you still get the foils, Farseek, and the normal Farseek. And then if you just don't do any, well, you do worse than that, then you get a Farseek promo at any rate. So you do get something out of it, aside from the enjoyment of playing an absolutely insane sealed format. It's not, it's not too bad for the price structure as well, compared to most events. That seems pretty good. Yeah, it doesn't seem too bad. Um, there is also going to be another R&D challenge. So this is where members of R&D uh, both present and former, will be playing in one big event. Again, this goes up to 512 players, so the chances of actually bumping into one of them, who knows? Um, this will be happening at 12 noon on Friday, June the 21st. That's 12 noon as long as you're on the west coast of America. Um, they'll cost 10 event tickets. It is a standard event. There will be five rounds. I'm not going to go to the price structure, but it will also be streamed on Twitch TV. And R&D members Ryan Spain and John Lauks will be the commentators for that. So that would be entertaining to watch, if nothing else. Yeah, that would be quite good. Are you going to take part in any of these? Um, let's see. So 12 p.m. noon would be 8 p.m. on a Friday. Uh, probably not, because I'll probably be a Friday night magic. Well, this is true. Which takes precedence, I'll be honest. As for the Phantom Steel event, I may look into it. It would... It would definitely be interesting. I was really annoyed I couldn't actually take part in the Christmas events because, again, I think they started as scheduled times and none of them were particularly good for me. So we'll yeah, see if I can actually do one of these ones. There was the uh, the April Fool's one that I tried to take part in. Right. That was um, pretty difficult to build a deck, though, because you had packs from street sets I don't even recognise, to be honest. Right, okay. Um, I think this one looks like it's a little bit more reasonable, at least. Well, it's it's mostly modern. It's, it's yeah. modern bar the onslaught booster pack, and 
I mean, depending on how long you've been playing, you'll recognize just some of the cards inherently. Like, obviously, Return to Ravnica will be pretty modern. Hopefully, most people will get Innistrad going further back. I mean, to be honest, I would recognize the Mirrodin, the Champion, the Kamigawa, Innistrad, and Return to Ravnica. Because that, because yeah. between those, <laughs> between those boosters was when I had my break, but. <laughs> So I'm just going to yeah. open the card in booster pack and go, yep, I recognise these cards, so. Well, I had a similar break between Ravnica and Zendikar, so I missed out about three of those, but I think yeah. I've picked up some of those cards recently anyway, so. It seems a lot more manageable, at least, to build a deck. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right, um, that's only real news to talk of, so we will just move on to... The card! Would you like to go first? Are we doing any specific topic for name that card? Will we make it a Modern Masters card? Modern Masters may be good. For that is what we'll be talking about in the main topic. Okay. Um, I will let you go first, then. Okay. So that uh, I have time to get one. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go for... Actually, maybe that's too easy. Let's try it. Okay, I have a card for me, and it is from Modern Masters. Okay, it's a good start. Uh, this card has also been a Friday Night Magic promotional card. Okay, I can't think of anything in particular from that. Okay, uh, this card costs two and a green. Oh, is it Kadama's Reach? It is not Kadama's Reach. <laughs> um, this spell, uh, let's go with flavor text actually. Okay. Give up these unnatural weapons, these scrolls. Heart and mind and fist are enough. And that's by Zid, a uh, Camelite Druid. Hmm. I don't recognize the flavor text. Okay. Um, this card is an instant, and as far as Modern Masters is concerned, it is also an uncommon. Ah, so Modern Masters, instant, uncommon. I may not have played this card. This card has split second. Oh, oh, ah, uh, no now. I can't believe I missed that one out. I have this card in my queue. Crows and Grip. It is Crows and Grip, yes. Ah, uh, I should have got that way sooner though. <laughs> I've <laughs> even got the FNM promo in my queue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you really should have got that sooner then, that's for sure. Oh dear. <laughs> right. Um, I am looking at a card which is white. I'm going to just guess now, because okay. I remember a conversation we had on Friday. I'm just going to say Angel's Grace. No, but I can see why you guessed that card. That is a very Craig card. <laughs> yes, you, you, just because I mentioned it once, apparently it's now a card I would play. Yeah. FYI, not a card I would play. <laughs> it was just before the the first the Friday Magic uh, Modern Masters draft. Yeah. Um, Craig was um, touting this card as... A, a prime first pick. Absolutely. <laughs> Which Somewhat sarcastically. Yeah. <laughs> so, it is also five mana for this card. Um, I'm not sure if this is a five mana spell, but Stone Hewer Giant. I believe that is five mana, but it isn't Stone Hewer Giant. Okay. The card type is instant. Instant for five. Um... Ah, what is the basic land cycling spell in white? Ah, because that could be five mana, but I can't think of what it would be. It could be five mana. It could be. Um, hmm, I'm not sure. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. 
I'll tell you that you're unlikely to be casting this for its actual mana cost, which may just confirm an earlier suspicion. Okay, um... What is the white basic land cycling spell? So that is that is that what you're you're guessing? Yeah, but I just can't remember the name or what it does or anything. Um, it's very appropriate if this card is foil, based on the name. Winding beam. That is a card in the set, but it's not that one. Okay. Oh, oh, um, um, yes, gleam of resistance. Well done. That's it. Hey, <laughs> what what does that card even do? I can't remember. I've never used it for its effect. Okay, so it is a, it is a basic one. Like yeah, it, it gives creatures you control plus one plus two until end of turn and untaps them. So it is a reasonably good effect. Yeah, but the point is, you're usually putting it in your deck because you need the basic land cycling. Yeah, indeed. you're never putting it in the deck for the other effect. Well, at least very unlikely, I would say. If if it comes up, it's it's probably because the games went long and you've had it and you've drawn it late. Um, although for the basic land cycling cards, the red one's probably better than the, the white for ones to actually cast. Fiery fall for yeah, five, damage. five damage to a creature. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, God, it's been a long time since I've done named that card. Uh, let us move on to our main topic, however. And this was a main topic which was suggested to us, um, on Facebook, uh, by JB Martin. So he said, um, I think a good topic cover would be the rares and mythics in the set, which seem to be trap draft cards. There's so much hype for the new set, and apparently these new cards are all modern playable, but people may be blinded how, medi- how mediocre to bad some of these cards are. So I thought that was a good idea, because, you know, it has been touted, Modern Masters, this is going to be a whole bunch of cards that you want for modern. It's also going to be an amazing draft format, and some people may be going into it thinking absolutely every single rare mythic are first pickable, that you can build around them, or they're great in particular archetypes, and you're just going to have a whale of the time, no matter if you pick Angel's Grace or Sword of Light or Shadow. I mean, they're all going to be fantastic. This is completely not true, just like any other set. There are complete and utterly useless cards, cards which look good but end up not being good once you actually delve into it. So we're just going to sort of run through the rares and the mythics, uh, and we're going to pick out any issues we think we have with some of them. I mean, yep. different cards are good in different strategies. Like, just because we don't mention a card doesn't mean it's good in all circumstances, but it may just be that we don't have any big issue to, you know, have a go at it. Or Just because we don't mention something doesn't mean it's, it's amazing, but yeah. it just means it's not terrible. <laughs> it's probably this the best way to look at it. I mean, okay. the, the, the point is, the reason that they have to have some um, bad rares in a set, and this is something that was covered in an article by Mark Rosewater at one point, is that if you were to have a draft set where every card's amazing, then there would be no skill to it. You just pick up 42 cards, and those happen to be as good as anyone else's 42 cards. Sorry, 45 in this set. Um, Those just happen to be just as good as anyone else's 45 cards, then, you know, what what skills are involved? So there has to be some worse and better picks. So you will have some rubbish rares in every set, even one that has been touted to be amazing, such as Modern Masters. Yeah, and I think of you know some of these cards are for playing in modern constructed, so they're exactly. not really good for modern masters. I've heard some people say that some of these cards have been printed for Legacy, some of the cards have been printed for Commander. I'm slightly more dubious about those statements, but I'm sure that you know there are clearly cards in here which are not for limited and are for constructed, and thus, yeah, this is true. You know, you, you, they're not good in draft, but you may just want them at any rate if you say don't do redrafting at the end. So let me start with potentially the most controversial choice and okay. pick on Tarmogoyf. Yeah, why not? I mean, it's it's the 
kind of prime card in the set as well. It's, this it's is the one that uh, everyone's looking for <laughs> to open. Everybody wants Tarmogoyf, and it's amazing in Constructed. But back when it was in Time Spiral, before it was put in a Constructed deck, it was a dollar junk rare. Yeah, I wish I was the guy that noticed this card first. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tarmogoyf wasn't really played in Time Spiral Draft. People didn't want it. Well, it just wasn't good. I mean, the, the scenario that makes Tarmogoyf good, Tarmogoyf good is like turn one fetch land into Thoughtseize, putting three different card types in the graveyard. And, and this is, yeah. That, it doesn't happen in draft or, or even in standard that would be very unlikely to, to be amazing. Yeah, that, that is definitely the point I want to make is that Tarmogoyf requires cars in the graveyard and constructed in the modern. It's very easy to do that. Fetch lands go into the graveyard very quickly. There's one drop lightning bolts which kill a creature. That's instant. Uh, land and creature all in the graveyard turn one or something like that and turn two Tarmogoyf's already at three four. That is not happening in Modern Masters. It's not. Um, the only time I would see Tarmogoyf getting big and being a prime pick for a deck was if you were specifically drafting the Dredge deck. Because then it could be good. Yeah, now Tarmogoyf and Dredge definitely seems like it's the way to play Tarmogoyf. If you're not willing to go down that path, then Tarmogoyf isn't good. And the other problem is you need the dredge cards to make the Tarmogoyf work, so you kind of want the other dredge rares? Yeah, um, I mean, there's it, there's some good dredge cards that without playing rares, um, but you certainly want to have seen one to, to be going heavy into the dredge deck, I would say, so. Yeah. Unless you see your Tarmogoyf in pack three, you probably don't know if you really want it yet. And yeah. a lot of people are going to pick it first anyway, because... You know, it's Tarmogoyf. So yeah, exactly. You're not, you're not t- going to see it late in a pack. No, no. I mean, I think a lot of people who see it being passed to that will be really surprised, but yeah. if you're not, like, actually keeping the cards you're drafting and you're rarely drafting at the end, or it's just, you know, sort of friendly and somebody's just playing with their own packs and they get to keep all the stuff at the end, Tarmogoyf is not first pickable. No. No. Right, now we've got the real controversial one out of the way. Um, the other mythics I sort of want to pick on are the Kamigawa dragons. So there's the entire cycle of dragons. Okay. Um, they all seem good. Like, a 5-5 flyer for 6 with some effect when they die is all pretty good. I mean, it always has been limited. That's, that's kind of the draft a dragon and you'll do quite well. Is Yeah, I mean, I think Tarmogoyf everybody wants because it's Goyf. The Kamigawa dragons are not, are, are like... Why are these mythics, why are these in my set? Like, I think people, while they have an elevated opinion of Tarmogoyf, will have, like, a downward, will be looking down upon the Kamigawa dragons and going, why are you here? Don't think they're bad just because they're not, say, Thoughtseize, which everybody wanted and maybe have expected a mythic. These dragons are good. Five, five flyers for six are good. Yeah, and I mean, they've been put in the set mostly for limited. Um, but also to give people them for commander, I do think. Yeah. Um, the problem is that the original ones were rares, so they're actually very easy to get a hold of already. I mean, yeah. for example, the red one is something like £2. A mythic being worth that much is quite low. Yeah, again, I think this may be, again, why people may look at these dragons and think they're not as good as they should be, just because they've been bumped up for no reason, potentially. I yeah. I think that would be a fallacy to think they're rubbish for any of these reasons. Like, they are just straight up good. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. They really are. I've played against only the red one in draft, uh, Modern Masters draft so far, and it destroyed me, so. <laughs> yeah. Now, I do want to point out the green one, uh, Jugan the Risen Star. He is the worst of them because he does have triple green in his casting cost. 
So as long as you're aware that, you know, you probably don't want to play a three-color deck with him, or, you know, you may just not be cast on turn six because you may not have the three forest. I mean, just be aware he's the worst, but that's, he's still great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the worst is still amazing. So that yeah. just tells you something about the cycle, really. Indeed. Right. Um, I don't think I've got any other problems with any of the other mythics. I mean, they're all good. Some of them maybe need go on particular strategies, like Elspeth, probably more of a token sort of strategy. Um, is Progenesis a mythic? Progenesis is not a mythic. Oh. Is oh, wait, is it a mythic? It was originally a mythic. It is a mythic, yes. Right. Progenitus is unplayable. Well, unplayable may be a little bit too strong. It's double Wooburg. I mean, you need you need a five-color deck, and you need to hit all of the right land. And you're maybe playing it yeah. for nine or ten or more. It's not coming... I mean, a ten-drop in the limited is basically not seeing play. And this is such a hard-to-cast ten-drop. Yeah. I mean, when when you say unplayable, it is going to be in almost every deck. The only time I can see this being playable is if you already have a Joira, for example. Or perhaps if you have a Tooth and Nail. Okay. And you're playing, or, and you're playing a dedicated ramp deck. Okay, I can see Joira working. Wait, does Progenesis not have a discard rule, something to do with hitting the graveyard? If it goes into a graveyard, then yes, it, it gets shuffled in. Okay, but to activate Joira of the Gitu, you need to discard the card. No, you don't need to discard the card, do you? No, nope, you exile it, I think. Okay, so the only time that you can play Progenitus is with Giora. Yes. Is that, that right? That's probably fair. Okay. It's, it's, it's going to be very unlikely that you cast it another time. So yeah, if you already have a, jo- uh, a Joira, feel free to pick it up. Otherwise, you probably don't want it. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, leave Progenitus alone. It is again, a, it's, it is definitely a trap card. Oh, it is a trap. I mean, someone mana. someone drafted it in our in our first uh, draft deck and essentially sat there doing nothing for quite a few turns while getting beaten by creatures. Yeah. So there you go. You can, you can learn from other people's mistakes. Okay. Now now we're done with the mythics. Like the rest are all good as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, I believe so. Okay. Um. Wait. Let's just go through by collector number on the rare. So I'm just going to say Angel's Grace. That is. <laughs> That is the me card, apparently. So it's uh, one white for an instant, and it has split second, and it says, you can't lose the game this turn, your opponents can't win the game this turn, and if damage reduces your life total below one, it reduces it to one instead. This is yeah. like a fog, but probably worse, and still is unplayable. Yeah, I honestly, the only scenario I can come up with where I would play this card is if I was against the Storm deck, maybe... And and it would be a sideboard, but I mean even then it, it's probably not a good sideboard. Yeah, it, because their next grape shot for one kills you anyway. Yeah, it's just not not a good card. It doesn't really do enough. It doesn't. It's pick pick an uncommon instead. It's not worth first picking. Yeah, oh, nowhere near. Um, I mean, it, it should probably go round the table. In all honesty, it should be a last pick, if not second last pick. Yeah, just because it's rare doesn't mean it's good. So. It's, yeah, it, Angel's Grace is just pants. Yep. Right, the next one, Auroch Salvagers. I mean, seems okay. I mean, four mana for two four isn't the worst. It's not fantastic. The ability he has, uh, one and a white to return a target artifact with CMC one or less from the graveyard to your hand. That seems good, because, you know, artifacts is a thing in Modern Masters. It is one of the archetypes you can draft. But there aren't tons of one mana artifacts. It's not he's not just gonna be value town all the time and not necessarily all the artifacts which are one mana are things you really want to recur. So I yeah. mean 
it is good with some artifacts. Like if you have Executioner's Capsule, it becomes very, very abusive. If you it, yes, have definitely. Um, Pyrite Spellbomb, it's also very, very abusive because with those two, either you're killing a creature for th- what five mana, four mana, uh, five mana for killing a creature, or four mana for shocking. I mean, that that is another thing. Notice how sort of expensive these are. Like four mana to do two damage doesn't seem good. So as a repeatable just, effect, I, I I would play that. But the the point is, it's not a repeatable effect you get from the one card. You have to assemble it. Yeah. So you need both components for this to work. So ideally. To get Aurok Salvagers to do lots of work, you kind of need multiple capsules, multiple spell bombs. I mean, there are, there are, you know, there's 14 one or less artifacts which it can actually target. Some of them, you're far less, you're not going to be as interested as others. Like returning Court Homunculi. Yeah, and you're not likely to be returning, say, an Aether Vial, because it's unlikely to actually hit the graveyard very yeah. often. Um, I mean, the effects that it's abusive with are things that can then be sacrificed to do things. So, the, Capsules and the spell bombs are the main ones. Yeah. Now, if you're um, really lucky, then you already have a lotus bloom or an engineered explosives. Oh, and then yeah. it becomes really, really abusive. But just be aware, you probably want the artifacts just returning in place first. Yeah. I mean, I disagree with the lotus bloom because you have to wait three turns on it every single time. But engineered explosives is very abusive with it. I- I'd happily have a lotus bloom every three turns. It's not the worst. It's good. But I wouldn't say it was as abusive as some of the other options. I mean, I wouldn't say that a Lotus Bloom every three turns was as abusive as having access to an either spell bomb twice a turn. Yeah. Um, or even have one and a half per turn. Yeah. So yeah, Aurok Salvager, just be aware, there are limited good targets for it, and then you will need both the card in question and the Salvagers in play before yeah. it really does much. So, I mean, it, it's not a trap so much as just not quite as good as it looks. Yeah. In yeah. that you probably don't want to first pick out of the third pack, for example, unless you've already got targets. Yeah. Um like that's actually where I happened to get it in my last in my first draft. And it um, did work well for you, but then you got the pieces together. I only I had in my in my deck I had one pirate spell bomb and the one Oriox soldiers. I believe I had another um I had a one mana or two mana artifact uh yeah, I think I had a, an artifact creature to use with it as well. But it didn't come up that often. The only reason that I put both in my deck and chose it as first pick in the last pack was because the cards are okay on their own. Yeah. They're just not amazing. But if you saw, say, an Auroch Salvagers and a Kitchen Finks, I imagine you'd probably go with the Finks. Yeah, that's that's not that's not even a difficult choice for me. Yeah, so we're saying an Uncommon over a Rare. I mean, this is where you need to recognise Salvagers as sitting. Yeah, it's sitting below a, a lot of Uncommons in the set. Yeah. For sure. Okay, um, the next card is Cryptic Command. And the real reason I put it here is because it is one blue, blue, blue. That is triple blue. That is a lot of blue. It is. I mean, even if your main colour is blue, you're not going to have triple blue until turn five or six minimum. Yeah. A lot of the time. Um, and if, if it's not your, your main colour, then this is, becomes very difficult to cast indeed. Yeah, I mean, you need to be really invested or just realise it's not going to be castable probably when you want it. It's also not as good and limited as it is in Constructed. Like, yeah, I'm looking at the abilities. So you do get to choose two of the following. You counter a spell, or you return a permanent to its owner's hand, or you tap all creatures' opponent's control, or you draw a card. Like, for four mana, 
it's okay, but the triple blue is... You'd expect a bit more out of it, I would have said. I mean, unlimited, at least. Yeah, it's a good card. It's just be aware that it's hard to cast, really. Yeah. That's pretty much all that it comes down to with that one. I would I would actually first pick that out of a pack quite happily. But then that's because I'm likely to be mainly blue anyway. Yeah, then you, <laughs> then you need to focus in on the blue to make it work, though. Yeah. yeah. Right, do you want to talk about Gifts Ungiven? I didn't list this, but you... Yeah, um, I, I was having a look through, and, and Gifts Ungiven, I've not... I, I had the option of picking it in my last draft, and I didn't pick it. Um, I pick it almost every time when I'm playing Cube Draft, um, because it's really good there, because you can have multiple copies of a similar effect in your deck. Um, like, you might have... I don't know, a Wrath of God, a Day of Judgment, and some other Wrath effect. Um, so then you're getting to choose three effects, and you're going to get at least one of that plus a bonus card somewhere. Yeah. In draft, having the right package to grab with gifts in Modern Masters is a lot more hard, a lot more difficult. It's not, it's still not a bad card, because it's essentially one more mana for a kind of divination, but you have to be aware as well that unless you're able to get cards back from the graveyard, you really are reducing the density of non-lands in your deck. And also, surely, you're, I mean, your opponent chooses two of the cards you pick. They're going to put the best two in your graveyard, so you've got no way to pull them out. Yeah, so if you're choosing the four best cards in your deck, then the best two cards in your deck are gone, and the next two are in your hand. If the next two are good enough for you to win the game a lot of the time, then it becomes good. But having a gift and then four bombs or four, like, win-the-game bombs in your deck is very unlikely to happen. Yeah, and then those cards still have to be in your deck, so they're in your hand, you've already played them, then that's not good, and... Yeah, so I'm not saying I would never play it in Modern Masters, it just, it does seem a little bit of a trap to me. Yeah, it's probably never going to be as good as you'd, you'd imagine to be. Indeed. Okay. The next card, okay, actually, the next card, I was going to mention Pact of uh, Negation, but I just want to mention all the packs, so that's yeah. Pact of Negation, sorry. I believe we only have the Summer's Pact, Pact of Negation, and Slaughter Pact in yeah. the set. So it's not the full cycle, it's yeah. just the blue, black, the, and green. The white and red aren't in it. Yeah, so the problem with Pact is just, okay, it doesn't cost any mana to play, and you can kind of catch your opponent out, like, you know, You've tapped out in blue, they play their big spell thinking they're safe from counter-spell, and all of a sudden, pack a negation, counter-target spell. They didn't expect that coming. Or you can just randomly murder something at the end of the turn, or summoners pack tutors for a creature, I recall. Yes, it searches for a creature. Yeah. The cost, though, is your next turn, you can't do anything. Like, you, you've probably spent all of your mana for the next turn, and unless you're sort of already in a good place, then... Uh, well, it's it's probably better not to mm. actually use your pack and just have the mana next turn. So, so yeah, the the cards are good in that they let you have kind of like an insurance policy in your hand. Um, yeah. in terms of if something happens, you must kill it or it's going to lose you the game, and or you must counter this spell or it's going to lose you the game. Then it's really useful to have had this card. But and and I would still pick the card quite a lot. But you just have to be aware of how much t- time that that is then using up for you for your next turn. Yeah. So if if you're going to counter something and then have to tap out next turn, are they going to be able to attack you with the stuff they've got on board, play some more stuff, and then you've got a whole other turn before you can actually do anything useful to stem the bleeding? Yeah, and if it's, say, the turn after you cast Pack Negation, they're going to know you don't have another counter spell because the chance of having two packs 
is so exceptionally unlikely. And if you do, then you have the same problem of you're wasting two turns instead of one. Yeah, which is fine if they don't have any threats out and they've just tried to cast their two biggest bombs. But in every other situation, in other words, pretty much all the time, yeah, that's not going to be that great. Indeed. So that's a problem. Good, but just there, there is a massive opportunity cost because yeah, I mean, any cast one. They, they vary a little bit in that the black one, if it's not early game, is isn't going to take up that much of your turn. You're probably still going to get to cast something. Whereas the blue one, you're probably tapping out or very close to it when yeah. you cast this. Well, the next turn after you cast this. And then there's always the problem of it is a bit of a trap in that if you forget about it, you lose the game. Yeah, that's a big clincher. <laughs> now, Frightening Magic, hopefully people will let you sort of have takesy-backsies. You know, if you accidentally forget and draw your card, then technically drawing a card, you've chosen not yeah. to pay for the back, and you've chosen to lose the game. So hopefully people will let you take that back. But just be aware, don't draw a card at the beginning of your turn and go, oh, I'll pay for Pact. It's, <laughs> yeah. That's the wrong order doing things. It's untap, then upkeep, which is where you pay for the Pact's cost immediately, and then draw the card. So just just be aware of that. If people are really being stingy at your store and you draw the card and say, well, you've lost the game, then, yeah, they're, they're kind of right, but, you know. Yeah, and I mean, it's the sort of thing that if you've got an echo creature and you go to draw and then go, oh, crap, I've lost my echo creature, it's not too bad because the echo creature's probably done something they have in or the playabilities, but this one really does just lose you the game, so it's a lot more important. Yeah, losing the game, bit of a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, the next card, I'm not sure about this entire archetype, I'll be honest, so I'm hoping you've got a bit more insight about it. So the next card is Bridge from Below, which is very much a dredge card, as I understand, but I don't really get dredge. Yeah, um, well... Do you understand it, or...? Kind of. I haven't, I haven't really played dredge, and I certainly haven't tried to draft it, even though it is one of the possible archetypes in, in Moon Cube. But... Bridge from Below doesn't seem like a card that the dredge strategy is even that fussy about. Okay. Because if you draw it, you need to be able to discard it before you can do anything. And the dredge deck may be able to uh, Raven's Crime itself, but that's not the best situation to be in. So you have to actually dredge this card into the graveyard for it to work. Yeah. And even then, it doesn't take that much for it to get turned off again. Yeah, so I, I'll just read the text of Bridge from Below, because I imagine most people sort of skipped it, because it's weird. Okay, so Bridge from Below costs black, black, and black. So that's three black mana. And it's an enchantment, and it says, Whenever a non-token creature is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, if Bridge from Below is also in your battlefield, then you put a 2-2 black zombie creature token onto the battlefield. When a creature is put into an opponent's graveyard from the battlefield, if Bridge from Below is in your graveyard, exile it. So effectively, if your creatures die, you get zombies. If their creature dies, Bridge from Below disappears. Yeah. Never to be seen again. Yeah, if none of their creatures are ever dying, then you're not really in a great position anyway. They're probably killing you. Now, I'm assuming, and I, I probably should have looked into this, but Bridge from Below, I imagine, has played as a 3 or a 4 of in Dredge decks, so you can get the quantity of Bridge from Below, so you're likely to lose it less often, but you're likely to get into your graveyard more often. I have to say I'm not sure because I the only I haven't played the Legacy whereas which is pretty much the only format that Dredge gets played in. Right. Well, that that version of Dredge gets played in. The modern version generally just plays Life from the Loam and is more of a Life from the Loam deck than it is just a Dredge deck. 
And no, because the stuff like the Golgari Grave Troll is banned in modern. So the, it does surprise me, in fact, that they've put these cards in modern masters when Dredge has okay. pretty much been banned out of modern masters. But yeah, I, I would never, I would never draft this card. I wouldn't even think of it. Even if I was the Dredge deck, I still wouldn't pick this up. And if, if it's last pick, okay. it might make it into my deck as a 23rd playable or something. But I, I wouldn't be looking to get it early. Or at all. <laughs> okay, I just looked up a modern and dredge deck and it doesn't even run this. So, okay, so it, it's really, it's really there for legacy, which means don't touch it in draft because legacy is a completely different ballgame. Okay, right. Um, next card is, actually I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce this card, I'll be honest. Expirate? Extirpate? Yeah. So this is again another one mana instance plus second card, like Angel's Grace. So this one's one black, and you choose a target card in a graveyard other than a basic land card. Then you search that owner's uh, graveyard, hand, and library full cards of the same name and exile them. Yeah, so we had a, a card recently, the Black Frexian Mana card that done this in Standard. Uh, surgical Extraction. Yeah, so we had, yeah, we had Surgical Extraction in Standard, um, which done a similar thing. And that never got touched in draft, <laughs> for a good reason. Um People don't tend to have that many multiples in their deck in the first place. Yeah. And if they do, it's a common. So it's generally not hitting something that important. It's a low cost. Like, it's a black to potentially, you know, remove something which, who knows, could be brought back to the graveyard. There may be another yeah. copy somewhere. It's a sideboard card again. Um, if you have one and you're playing against Dredge, you might want to put it in to target something like Bridge from Below. Uh, no, sorry, not Bridge from Below. That one they hopefully won't be playing. Um, Life like from, from Below. The yeah. If you can extirpate their life from the loan before it comes back, then you've probably shut them down a fair bit, because I doubt they'll have multiple of that card in their deck. But again, it's just a bit rubbish, really. Yeah. And the only other person I could see playing it against would be siding against Storm, because often they rely on a single type, on, on a single card, or one of two cards. The Empty the Warrens and the Grape Shot. Yeah. So, if they've already cast one Grape Shot, and you do that, they're, they're, or one empty the warns, then you've probably shut down half of their deck. Yeah. The, the deck won't have that many win conditions. I've tried Storm, it's, it's a bit awkward. Yeah, I mean that's the problem is, the decks that it's good in the sideboard against are decks that need to be constructed very well from draft to have, to actually be playable anyway. So again, it's got, it's got less good targets. Exactly. Okay. Right. Moving on to a really good target for getting rid of, Blood Moon yeah. is two in a red for an enchantment which turns all non-basic lands into mountains, which really shuts down a lot of the constructed decks which, you know, run shock lands or fetch lands or just about anything which is the basic land because that's what it hits. Well, I mean, let's look at standard right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not that like, many, a lot of the decks aren't playing that many basics. And, you know... Your decks are never in just mono-red. Red deck wins is not a thing. It's always red something. Yeah, it deck usually wins. is. So even if you are playing red, you're still not being able to cast a lot of your spells if all your things are turned into mountains. But Well, I mean, the, the almost mono-red deck in standard um, tends to be splashing green, but has dual lands for the splash. So you, yeah. they won't have very many, if any, green sources left once you've got this out. Not that it's a standard card, but we're just looking at the, the way that it would affect... A standard, yeah. uh, some a constructive format. So Blood Moon, really cool when constructed. It's played quite a lot in modern, 
However, this is not modern. This is modern masters, and there are very few non-basic lands in this set. Yeah, um, I mean, the only non-rare ones are the Vivid Lands, I think. And, well, Tarmogryph, uh, sorry. Uh, Terramorphic Expanse. Yeah. Uh, so, it shuts down uncommons. Uh, Terramorphic Expanse, I think, is a common. And then is. rares. There's very few cards actually hits. And then, how many decks are running red? Four out of the ten archetypes. So... You're not even necessarily affecting their deck terribly much. Yeah. Um, I mean, the problem is that most decks will have maybe two or three non-basic lands. Even the Even the five-color control deck, or something similar, tend not to get, have that many vivid lands in them. Mm-hmm. I mean, admittedly, turning, off three or, turning three or four of their lands into mountains instead of tap for any color is useful, but it's not a deck that you see often. Yeah. And a lot of them are relying on the land cyclers rather than the, the special lands. Yeah, so again, Blood Moon is just not really going to affect enough cards to make it worth the effort. Again, it's a, probably another cyber card if you're playing against a five-color yeah. vivid land control, but... It's another fr- very fringe sideboard card. Indeed. Um, I think that's potentially most of these cards we're pointing out are actually sideboard things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right, the next card is Countryside Crusher, which actually isn't too bad a card. I mean, it's a 3-drop for a 3-3, which gets bigger. Yeah. Which is not a bad thing. However, it's the way it gets bigger which is a problem. So, at the beginning of your upkeep, you reveal the top card of your library, and if it's a land card, you put it into your graveyard, and then you do this thing again. So, basically, you keep revealing cards on the top of your library until you don't reveal a land card. Now, however, for each land card which goes into the graveyard... And that's from anywhere, so not necessarily just with this ability, but from any other ability. You get a plus one, plus one counter on Countryside Crusher. So he does get bigger. The problem is that if you play him turn three, you're never drawing another land. Which is a pretty big problem unless you're, you drafted the burn deck. Or you have the land still in your hand to play, but... Yeah. If, if you're drafting a deck which doesn't have anything above three, or doesn't have anything above four and you've played it on four, then it probably is a really good effect because you're going to draw gas every turn. But the amount of decks that really want that are very limited. The only one I would ever, I think, be drafting would be if I was going some kind of goblin burn deck. I mean, that's probably where it works best, but the problem is you then need to draft very carefully to make it work. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing is if you've cast this off of double red and and one, which is what it costs, then you only have one land that can tap for a colour other than red at the most. So mm-hmm. that, that seriously limits what colours you can be. Um, again, it's, it's it's probably a very good enabler in the dredge deck. This with life from the loam is quite the engine. A shame that dredge is really the green-black archetype and not the red exactly, archetype. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Right, um, carrying on, so all three of these cards are next to each other. Dragonstorm is the next one. So it is the ridiculous card which allows you to put dragons from your library straight onto the battlefield and it has storm wow but the problem is it is nine mana yeah and and that's a lot of mana i mean like that isn't even the problem the problem is how many dragons do you have in an average deck like if you're lucky you already have one of the mythic dragons so it's a six drop yeah so why would you play a nine drop about the storm count well let's say you get the storm count out to two have you drafted two legendary uh sorry yeah ten legendary dragons no do you have another changeling in your deck? Yeah. Um, okay, so you're basically casting a six drop and a changeling, and 
That, that was a good investment, wasn't it, for nine mana? Yeah, I mean, if you've got a decent number of sh- changelings in, it's going to hit a few things, but even then, sure. it's a lot of mana, and getting the storm on this is nigh on impossible when you consider how much you're tapping just for this spell. Yeah, it's nine mana, so you need to have just unsuspended something and cast it with suspend. I mean, you basically you're not... need to have unsuspended a lotus bloom on the turn that you cast this. <laughs> And nine mana is once again just a ridiculously high mana cost. It's it's very seldom you're going to hit nine land. Yeah, this is this is definitely true. Um, oh god! In fact, the fourth card in a row. So greater Gargadon is the next red card. So that's four red cards picking on. <laughs> You'll find red's actually quite a big player in this list. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit unfortunate. So greater Gargadon is a nine seven for ten mana, which. Normally I'd say it's unplayable, however, it does have suspend 10 for a single red. So turn 1 you can go mountain, suspend for 10, and 10 turns time you can have a 9-7. Which yeah. isn't too bad, but be aware, um, 10 turns is a lot of time. Games can end before the 10th turn. And if you're not casting this on turn 1, then it's not actually the 10th turn you need to worry about. It's the 11th turn, the 12th turn, and the 13th turn. You, it, this may just stay in suspend in exile for the game and never hit the board. Yeah, this is possible. Ten turns is a lot. Now, it does have the ability that you can sacrifice an artifact, a creature, or a land to remove a time counter, so if you want to accelerate it out, you can. But then you're sacrificing stuff for a 9-7, which they know is coming, so they may have an answer for, or are waiting for you to just go, okay, I sack everything, I sack all my lands, it doesn't matter, I've got a 9-7, you're a 9 life, I can just kill you in enough turns. And then they just go... Slaughter Pact? <laughs> and then you've wiped, you've literally wiped everything on your side of the battlefield for an I7 which just got killed. Yeah. When they had no mana open because Slaughter Pact is, you know. So just be aware, it's good. It can yeah, do a lot. It's still okay. But they're gonna definitely see it coming. Be careful when you are sacrificing things. Like these, the chances are you should only sacrifice when something is about to die at any rate. Like. Yeah. That, that's pretty much how you make it faster is you sacrifice things that are going to die without trading with a creature or or something. Yeah, or or maybe an artifact which you've played but now it's no longer actually that good or something like that. Or if you actually don't need your next land drop, you know, you can just go draw a land, play the land, sack the land, remove a time counter. Yeah, excess lands. I mean, the, fa- the thing is, the fastest that this is likely to come out in a nut draw is maybe turn four. And that's not early enough if you sacrificed everything you have that they're not going to be able to deal with it. Because yeah. the, the problem is it doesn't even have trample. Yes, indeed. So as long as you have zero resources, so they'd be quite happy to chuck away a creature to chump lock this and probably hit you back for more because, you know, they've been doing things in the turn that you've been sacrificing everything. Indeed. So it, it isn't amazing. And I've seen it wheel in a draft but I've also seen it be cast, so, you know, it, it, it's not completely unplayable, but it's definitely a trap if you're, if you're going to pick it first and kind of expect it to do most of the work in your deck. Yeah. Okay, um, again, another red card. I'm afraid red does really get the brunt of the um, and yep. rares. So Pyromancer Suave? Suave? Swath, I think. Swath? Okay. It's another two and a red enchantment, like Blood Moon. Um, however, when in this sorcery source you control, we do damage to a creature or player. It deals damage damage plus two to the creature or player instead. And at the beginning of each end step, you discard your hand. So all of your damage spells do plus two damage, but you can't have your hand at the end of turn. Yeah. <laughs> now, that doesn't sound great. And when you consider that 
I think there's three cards which do damage, which is Crush Underfoot, uh, Fiery Fall, and the other rare Molten Disaster, I think are the only cards which actually do damage. Um, there's Glacial Ray. Oh, okay. My search for cards which do damage clearly didn't hit enough. Gatherer sometimes doesn't hit everything. <laughs> I'll be honest, I'm using Magic Card Info, but I may have just put in the search a bit wrong. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, unless you have a lot of these though, I mean, Crush Underfoot doesn't probably fit into your Pyromancer Swath deck. You're probably not playing giant Pyromancer Swath, but Fiery Fall already does a lot of damage. So, I mean, the only thing I can see this actually being played with is if you were playing, again, a very dedicated burn deck. And you've only really got a couple of spells to f- for that deck. And this is this is where I'll start listing things that Craig managed to miss. Um, Lava Spike, Glacial <laughs> Ray, and Rift Bolt. Those are the three cards you would need to have a lot of before Pyromancer Swath becomes really good. And if you manage to get lots of those cards, it probably is okay. But it's still only okay. Yeah. And that's the problem. And then you need to draw it and play it. And the other thing is, you can't... The only thing I would really see it going off in draft with would be multiple glacial rays when you start splicing them onto each other. But the problem is, you can't just keep doing that every turn when you have one out, because you're not going to have them at the end of the turn. Yeah, because you need to discard your hand. Exactly. So it won't even work. So as you say, it, it is pretty much unplayable. Yeah. Right, another two and a red spell. Uh, Squee Goblin Nabob, everybody's favourite goblin. Mm. So he's a legendary creature goblin. Um, I do love the flavour text. Some goblins are expendable, some are impossible to get rid of, but he's both at the same time. So this does cover what his ability is. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may return Squee Goblin Nabob from your graveyard to your hand. Yeah. Yay! He's a 1-1 goblin for three mana who just keeps coming back. Yeah, that's not bad. It's not good either. It's not bad. <laughs> so, hopefully my, my uh, search was a bit better for this one. So I believe Goblin Dying only really interacts with four cards. That's Space Volter, Marsh Flitter, Warren Weirding, and Tar Pitcher. So those are things which like sacrificing Goblins or targeting Goblins to die in order to get more Goblins in the case of Warren Weirding. Okay, um, those are the only things that care about goblins specifically now, dying. I did also search for creatures leaving the battlefield, and I didn't hit anything. Okay, so the the reason that this card is used in decks is for discard and sacrifice effects. So yeah, there, there's a few cards that interact with it, um, in that we have Careful Consideration, um, which lets you draw and then discard, so you can discard this guy and then you'll be able to get him back. And, and there's also stuff like Perilous Research, which draws two cards, then sacrifice a permanent. The problem is, those effects are, are kind of one-offs. The reason that this guy's really good in some formats is that you can have, for example, a looter, which will discard him and draw every turn. And you're essentially turning your looter into just draw a card every turn, which yeah. is quite a big bonus. But there isn't anything in this set that's really repeatable. That discards apart, uh, that discards or sacrifices apart from Tar Pitcher. And with Tar Pitcher, it's okay because you're, you're still paying three mana for a shock plus tapping a creature, but that, that's an okay cost for a repeatable effect. But it's only once a turn, so it's not as abusive as it could be. Yeah. The only other thing is the other trap rare that we've mentioned, Greater Gargadon, which you can now pay three mana to remove a counter from him, which is at least something. <laughs> 
Yeah, but, but the card isn't exceptional in by any means. No, um, he's Squee. People may be excited because it's Squee. Like I was excited because it was Squee. Yeah, Squee is but, awesome. Yeah, but not really doing enough in draft. And the flavor text is amazing. Yes. Okay. Um, the next card. Finally, getting out of red and going into green. Life from the loam. So again, it's because I'm yeah. a bit ignorant when it comes to dredge. So, so we've mentioned this one already. Um, didn't quite go into much detail about it, but it you you have to ha- have a dedicated draft strategy for it. So it isn't so much a trap in that it's not a good card. It's actually a very good card if you can make the right draft. Yeah. Um, because if you have retrace spells plus life from the loam. That is a lot of value. Like, for example, the worm one that creates worms. Uh, worm harvest. If you have that plus this, then you can kind of keep doing that every turn for quite a lot of worms. It's it, That's seven mana. But, you know, that's not that far out of reach. Um, you could quite easily be playing some uh, ramp cards in your deck, like Kadama's Reach, because this also puts a land into your hand, which you can discard to your, your retrace spells. Um, so you really would be playing a land martyrs deck. You'd have probably a lot more than 17, maybe 19, 20 land. Um, and you would have to draft very heavily around it. Of course, the other thing is, if you've only got the one life from the loam, you also kind of need to hit it. Yeah. If you draft around one card and you never draw that card, your deck doesn't generally do anywhere near what it's supposed to do. And if you have other dredge cards in your deck then that helps you obviously get to your life from the loan because you're going to be getting through more cards a turn. But you're starting to get in serious danger of milling yourself, especially since there is actually a mill deck viable in Modern Masters. It's not amazing, um, but there is a mill deck viable. And of course, you've only got 40 cards rather than 60. It's all the same quantities you'd see in a constructed dredge yeah, deck. So the standard dredge, the, I say standard, in the, the stock dredge lists um, that in Modern tend to go through a lot of cards before getting to the point where they win. And when you have 40 cards, that's not quite as viable a strategy. Yeah. Alright, um, Rude Awakening, the next card, also green. It's a four and a green for sorcery. It's a modal spell, so you may choose one to untap all lands you control, or until the end of turn, the lands you do control are 2-2 creatures that are still lands. Yeah. And it has a twine for two and a green. So, you know, you can get your mana back... Or you can turn your lands into creatures. Now, if you turn your lands into creatures, you've tapped five lands in order to do so. So hmm. how many 2-2 lands do you still have which can swing? Yeah, this is that. You have to entwine this for it to work. But it is one of my favourite cards for draft, um, for cube draft. Um, and I keep comparing Modern Masters to cube draft because it is very similar in the way that it plays out. Um, yeah. You tend to draft a specific archetype rather than just drafting a colour. But with Rude Awakening, it does have something going for it in that it is green. So, it's 8 mana, it's green. You probably can kind of ramp into it a little bit. Um, there's Search for Tomorrow and Kadama's Reach, which are both very good at getting you land quickly. And it does win you the game very often when you cast it. But the problem is, it's 8 mana. Yeah, but 8 mana for actual win the game? Unless they got Angel's Grace, in which case... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Angel's Grace, the perfect counter to Rude Awakening. <laughs> I mean, my, my reservation is simply, you need to entwine to actually make it do anything worthwhile, and that is 8 mana. Yeah, but this is 16 points of attacking creatures True. from nowhere. 
True. So I, I, I don't think I've seen a Ruhud Awakening cast very often that hasn't won the game on the spot. And I, I pick it very highly in Cube as it's so good for that. There isn't nearly as much mana ramp in this as Cube. Yeah. Which obviously makes a difference. And eight mana is a lot. But it's not, it's not uncastable. It's just, you've got to be aware that you have to draft some ramp to get there. You can't just stick it in your deck and hope to hit 8 mana. Yeah, otherwise most of the time will hit your hand and then never do anything for the rest of the day. Right, uh, the next card is also an entwine card. Um, Tooth and Nail. So it's 5 green and a green, and you may choose one. You can either search your library for two creature cards and put them into your hand, or you may put two creature cards which are already in your hand onto the battlefield, which is pretty good. You can skip around yeah. casting costs and you can get a lot more than your 7 mana's worth of creatures. You entwine for two. And that's the problem, because you kind of really want to entwine this again. You just want to search for the best yeah. two cards in your deck and put them onto the battlefield for a grand total of nine mana. And again, that's where my reservation for this card is. It is a hell of a lot of mana. Yeah, I kind of want to just say same as above Yeah, for this card, but there are some key differences. Um, first of all, nine is not one more than eight when it comes to draft, and in the you're not going to go, okay, 9 mana is only 1 turn later than 8 mana. It's often 2 or 3 turns later than 8 mana. Because um, if you've already drawn 8 lands, there's not that many, there's not as much chance of drawing more. Um, also, it doesn't win on its own. Rude Awakening, you have 8 mana, to you've got 8 lands that you've tapped for your 8 mana to play it, so therefore you have the right amount of attackers to do a hell of a lot of damage. Yeah. Tooth and Nail, you have to have guys in your deck that make it worth it. And... There's not that many things in Modern Masters that you're getting an amazing deal on. It makes a progenitor slightly easier to cast in that you now only need some green mana, but it's only one mana left than progenitor in the first place. Yeah. So I'm I'm not I I wouldn't play this card yeah. in draft very often at all. It, it would be a strange draft deck that where I'm actually playing tooth and nail in it. Yeah. So it it doesn't. As you say, it doesn't outright win immediately. It costs one more mana, which is not one more turn. Yeah. And um, if you've already drawn the cards, then then you're not getting as good a deal. Unlike with um, Rude Awakening, where the lands are already there, you know, it's not like you can't have the lands in play. I mean, I suppose you could just desperate ritual into Rude Awakening, but that'd be a bit silly. <laughs> a little bit, sort of, um, somewhat missing the. You're point. losing out a little. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you might have enough damage with ten lands. So that might be worth it. Mm. Wait, would would it be ten? Uh, sorry, ten. Ten damage. Yeah, not ten lands. Yeah, um, that might be enough. But yeah, you, you're kind of missing the point a little. Yeah, with that. Right. Um, the next card, Var uh, Verdaloth the Ancient. So he's a legendary creature, tree folk for four green and the green, and he's a four seven, which is not too bad. He's also a sapling and tree folk lord. So saplings get plus one plus one, tree folk get plus one plus one, which is pretty cool because he is for the token deck. No questions asked. Yeah, he's cool. Now, the trap is not any of those things. I think if that was all he did, he'd be perfectly pickable. But he does slightly more. He has a kicker cost for X, and when he comes into play, you put X 1-1 sapling tokens into the battlefield. Now, that seems okay, but I think the trap is people may hold off to pay for the kicker cost and actually try to get some value off of it, you know. I keep my Vertal off in hand so I can pay Kicker 2 and get a couple of 2-2 Sapperlings. That seems okay. Maybe keep it for 3 and get 3 2-2 Sapperlings. That seems pretty awesome. And I think that's where the problem is. I think people who want to hold on to it just to get Kicker, just to get more Sapperlings, 
that's the mistake. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I was going to disagree with you, uh, naming this card as a trap until you, you kind of pointed that out there. Um, in the, the kicker is good if you've got spare mana. If you happen to have seven or eight mana, pay the extra for a kicker and get a sapling or two. But holding off for it is, is the trap. And it's not usually going to be worth it. Because you want to be playing this guy at the top of your curve when you've already got saplings out. Yeah. I don't believe there's very many tree folk in the set. So that's not very relevant. No. And you certainly can't have two of him because then he would just die. So the sapling thing's the key. And a lot of the sapling cards are, you want to get some out there very early. Mm-hmm. So if you have a lot of saplings already, then he's really good. But he's only okay in another decks. I mean, he's, yeah. he's a six mana four seven. Yeah, and which isn't amazing for a rare. I mean, there, there's there's obviously a number of cards here which are built for a particular strategy. He's very much built for the go with thalids, get your sapling strategy. Yeah, um, and, and I've played the sapling strategy. I played it on uh, Tuesday yesterday, and it was really good. I had a lot of the three, four, and five mana sapling guys. So that's the one that lets you remove a sapling to give something plus one plus one. The one that adds counters to all of your fungus and or your all of your fungi instead of just himself. Yeah. And the one that lets you remove two counters for a sapling rather than the normal three. So those were the three I had plenty of. I didn't, however, have very many of the early ones. So that that was one thing that I did lose out on. Um but the best part, I think, of the deck was that I managed to get a doubling season for it. So that kind of goes nuts. Yeah, doubling season is exactly what you want when you're going for tokens. Doubling season, well, it says doubling season, actually quadruples how good sapling, uh, sapling producers are. Because it doubles the rate at which they get to the, the required number of counters, and it also doubles the amount of saplings you get. Yeah. So it, it, it gets very big very fast. And it's a really fun archetype. I, I actually just want to say right now that I think everyone should draft Thalids. They are amazing. <laughs> yes. And they're great fun. And they won me a foil doubling season, so I might be slightly biased, biased here. <laughs> yeah. Foil doubling season. I, so on my table, I have three empty boxes of Modern Masters. I've opened all the boosters. I've opened 75 in total because I bought three random ones, and I do not have a doubling season, and it very, very much irritates me that I don't have one because I was so looking forward to opening that card. I will trade your doubling season. I now have a spare normal one. Fantastic. <laughs> I will see what I can offer you in return. <laughs> you have three boxes of Modern Masters. I'm sure we can come to an arrangement. I'm sure we can. Right. <laughs> right. There's one more card I want to talk about, and that is Chalice of the Void. So Chalice of the Void costs X and X. We'll get to that in a second. It's an artifact. Chalice of the Void enters the battlefield with X charge counters on it, and whenever a player casts a spell with a converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on it, you counter that spell. So let me first get into X and X. So it enters the battlefield with X charge counters on it. Now, if I wanted to enter the battlefield with, say, two charge counters on it, then both of the Xs and the mana cost must be two. So two plus two equals four. So the two Xs cannot be different values. They have to both be the same. So you're repaying one and one, which is 2, or 2 and 2, which is 4, or 3 and 3, which is 6, so on and so on. Yeah. So whatever mana you pay, you get half the charge covers on it, and obviously you can't pay odd, because that doesn't make sense. Anyways. Yeah. 
So, so essentially, this this card generally doesn't tend to be cast for very much more than two counters. Maybe you could cast it for six, yeah, but you could. I don't think any higher than that. And then there's the problem that every spell cast with the number of charge counters on it, which is probably two, probably maybe three, maybe one, it, it, it is, that spell just gets countered. Yep. And uh, by the way, this is a triggered ability, so split second, which I mentioned last episode, Chalice of the Void will negate split second cards because triggered abilities can go in the stack on top of split second cards, so you can't get around it that way. So you need to put a really awkward deck to make Chalice of the Void work without stinging yourself. You basically need to go, right, I have Chalice of the Void, I'm not picking any two drops, or I'm not picking any three drops, or I'm not picking any one drops. And then you got to hope that the spells your opponent has at that mana are good and kind of crucial to their thing. Yeah. That is a lot of hoops to jump through and hopes to grab onto to get it to actually do something worth the effort. Yep, it's it's a lot of things to have to do um, just to get a kind of mediocre effect. Yeah. In I mean, this card is generally a legacy card again. That's kind of where it shines mm-hmm. because a lot of decks hinge around one, two, and maybe three drops. Yeah. Um, so playing a chalice on your turn two for two mana, putting one counter on it, will shut down quite a few decks. Yeah. And or playing one for four and one for, and then one for two. No, the other way around. <laughs> one for two <laughs> and then one for four. One for two and then, you want to pay one for two and then one for four. Yes, because um, right. Then you get a chalice with one counter and then one with two counters. And that, that does shut quite a lot of decks down. So, that's where this card actually gets played. In draft, it's not nearly as good because you only get to choose one converted mana cost. And while a draft deck may have a bit of a clump in that they could have five or six cards in, say, the convert, the two cost slot, which is probably the most likely that you'd be casting it for anyway. Um, if they have a lot in the two drop slot, then Great, it's stopping all their two drops. But that means you can't play any other two drops in your deck if you're planning to do this. Yeah. And that's probably where your clump is going to be as well. Because twos and threes are generally what you want to have the most of in a draft. Yeah. Now, there is one cool thing about Chalice of the Void. Now, the X you have to pay can be zero. So you can pay Chalice of the Void for zero with zero charge counters. But why on earth would you want to do that? There's no spells which cost zero. Well, there are. All the packs cost zero. So it's an amazing sideboard card if you're playing against people with Pact of Negation or the other two packs whose names I just can't remember off the top of my head. It's really good there. It's a very narrow sideboard card, and you can play it for zero and negate all those zero-cost cards which nobody really plays. Yeah, But, the, you know... I feel like I've said this a lot, but the only cards I can see deciding this in against is Storm and Burn, because they do hinge a lot on one and two drops. Yeah. And this is probably a very legitimate sideboard card against Storm, in that you're turning off a lot of their deck. I think this for two pretty much means they can't win the game, barring a very strange um, empty the Warrens, if they're dedicated to Storm. So if you can cast this on turn four, or maybe turn three if you've got some kind of ramp in your deck, then it's probably a good sideboard card against Storm. But as we've already said, the Storm deck isn't really that amazing unless you get a very good draft for it. Also, if you do play against Storm and you're, like, countering their grape shots, you won't be countering their copies, will you? Because they're um, simply put onto the stack. 
it depends on the wording. Ooh, actually, may- um, yeah, maybe I'm not. Nope, you're right. It won't count the copies because it's whenever a player casts a spell. Uh, and copies from Storm are not cast. They are no, on the they stack. Are just created. As I mentioned last episode. Awesome. Right, I believe that's all the cards I can think of which are a trap. I mean, there's some which do require maybe a little bit of thinking on how they work well, but. Yeah, I mean, rare wise, I think we've covered everything. There's probably commons and uncommons which are traps, but, you know, that's. There's going to be a lot more of them. They're, they're just called the junk commons that make it to last pick all the time. Yeah. So you'll, you'll probably generally realize which these are by after your first draft. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas the rares you may not get a chance to play with before you see them. And therefore it's a lot more important to kind of analyze them beforehand. Indeed. So fortunately this is a little bit untimely that Modern Masters has already been out for a little bit. But what can you do? Yeah. It's probably so useful. A lot of people wouldn't have played with all the rares yet. This is true. You probably have only played with three, four rares by now, if you've done one draft, and a little bit more if you've done more drafts. Yeah. I think I've only played with around seven or eight of the rares in Modern Masters drafts. I've played with a lot more in Cube Draft, because this has a lot of overlap um, between rares in Cube and rares in Modern Masters. Pretty much all of the rares in Modern Masters are in my cube. Barring probably three or four. And I bet there are some of the ones we mentioned. Um, yeah, like Angel's Grace. <laughs> um, I don't have the ad nauseum thing, uh, deck in my cube and I don't have Oreo Salvagers, although I'll probably add it now that I've seen it. I just hadn't seen the card before now. Fair enough. Um, so there may be some additions from this set actually. But yeah, the majority of the cards are kind of well known cards for, for cube drafting mm-hmm. already. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, main topic over. I guess we can move on to the competition. So, yeah. if you haven't heard about the competition already, then I'm not quite sure why you didn't lo- listen to the last three episodes. But I'll go over it again for your benefit. So every week, uh, I will be asking you a question, and the answer to the question is always a card in magic. If you know the answer, you can email me at dovingtodraft.gmail.com, and you put in the name of the card in question, so the answer to the question I'm about to ask, and your Mitgo username, and you have an entry into a prize draw, uh, what you can win is a Dragon Maze sealed pack. So that's two Dragon Maze boosters, two Gatecrash boosters, two Return to Dragon boosters, and the two event tickets you need to enter a sealed, or you can break it apart and enter a draft, and you just need the other two event tickets for your second draft. Which you can probably get from the first draft. Yeah. And then I'll work out next episode when I'm going to do the... when I'm going to cut off the date, because... Um, yeah, I haven't quite decided that yet. But for each question you answer correctly, you'll get an entry in the prize pool, and then I will draw a random card, and that person will win, and we'll celebrate at the end. I've explained Yay. this better in previous episodes. I'm suddenly getting scatterbrained now, so maybe you want to go listen to my previous episodes to also get extra entries. Anyways, the question for this week. What card can give creatures, and this is all creatures on your side of the battlefield, indestructibility, lifelink, and death touch, which is a pretty nuts combo? Let's be honest. So there is a card which can give creatures indestructibility, lifelink, and death touch. So if you can give me the name of the card, and you include that in an email uh, with your Mitko username, put question four at the top so I know which question you're answering, although, to be honest, the, all the answers are rather different. I mean, I would be able to guess which one you're on about, but just save me the effort. Question four in the header, email me your answer, your Mitko username, and I will work out at some stage in the future next episode probably 
when the cutoff date will be, and then I'll do the prize draw and something, and I'll, I'll work it out later. I'm scatterbrained. It's getting late now. I just have to say, like, indestructibility, lifelink, and death touch are pretty much the three abilities that completely destroy a combat phase. Yes. <laughs> if you guys are these three things, there's basically not very many ways your opponent can win this combat unless they have first strike and infect. <laughs> all you need after that is just give all creatures cannot be blocked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and just, just, just. It may, this card may as well just say win the game, but it doesn't. Anyways, um, I think that's all for today. Um, Dan, how do people get in touch with you? My Twitter account is at. Darkan the Mad. That's basically Sarkan the Mad, replacing the S with a D. Excellent. I I will put this that in the show notes in case people don't know the correct spelling. Yeah, that's probably useful. <laughs> yeah, cool. Right. Um, I guess all that's left to say is um, I'm on Tumblr at DalvingTheDraft.tumblr.com. Also on Facebook as DalvingTheDraft. Just search for it. Undoubtedly, it'll appear. You're looking for the Delver into Secrets guy. That's what our avatar is. Um, email address, at gmail.com. That's where the competition entries go. Uh, let me just clarify. You can answer all the questions. So there are four questions to answer. You can go back to previous shows and still enter now. That's perfectly A-OK. Um, I'm on Twitter as Ravak underscore, R-A-V-A-K underscore. Steve, if you want to get in touch with him, Toe Jam Horse, T-O-E-J-A-M-H-O-R-S-E. The host for this week from me, Craig, and you, Dan. That's me. The intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. The name of the song is a cannery and it is royal for free music license under the Creative Commons by Tributation 3.0. Mm-hmm.